Years ago on Halloween night that Michelle and I had a group of people around our house in sleepy Tobermore and uh, that night straight after everybody went home, if I could have your attention because this is really important, unless you're writing a check then please concentrate hard and if you put in an extra O, good on you. Uh, so 15 years ago in Tobermore, went to bed that night after eating pizza and a lot of other stuff. And I had this dream, a panic dream, that we were in the wrong place. And the place where I was with my notes was in Dungannon. And I had a real loose... Did you ever have those panic dreams where you're in the wrong place and you're not prepared? Anybody ever have those dreams? Well, I just put it under. Everybody has those dreams. But it happened the next night. Then it happened the next night. Then it happened the next night. And then it happened the next night. I may be slow, but I do get there. Four or five dreams in a row, I felt this could be the Lord. This just could be Jesus, and it was, and here we are. And uh, it was, it was kind of emotional walking up the hill today. In one sense, I was tempted to give the guys a good run, run and boot up the, the backside, just, just for the crack of it. <laughs> and the other time, I just felt, I never planned any of this. None of it. It's all in the Father's heart and all in the Father's dream. And he still is dreaming over us as a community of faith. Not just 15 years ago, he still is dreaming over us and he's still giving us dreams so that we can usher in the beautiful kingdom and see what is messy and what is broken become new, become beautiful and become whole again. Isn't he kind? Okay. Let me start with the story. I uh, remember my first vineyard conference that was in Korean. Um, through Causeway Coast, there was a small church then. And a man came along, he looked like Santa. In fact, he, uh, when we went on sabbatical, we said to one of our boys, hey, guess who we're going to see? He's got a white beard and he's got a big belly and he's very kind. And Micah said, Santa's here, Santa's here. But it wasn't, it was a guy called Lance Pitlock, uh, who's a good mentor, a good friend of mine, a guy that can always pick up, uh, suppose, more, more, less the phone now and more on the on a keyboard, and uh, he's a wonderful man who took over from a man who started the vineyard years ago called John Wimber. Uh, John was dying, he asked uh, Lance to come along and to, to pass the church. John thought he had longer to live than he had, and um, John died sooner than what he anticipated, and Lance ended up taking the role of senior pastor of one of the most influential churches in the charismatic movement at that time, Vineyard Anaheim. Uh, and during that short, short space of time, when, when John died and this massive church of 5,000 people at the time, not only that, they had influence all across the world, and we're part of their story here today, sitting in a black chair in Dungannon. And so as part of that story, uh, they were just, yeah, they were a, quite a, a visual church throughout the world. And then um, Lance's boy, three-year-old boy called Matthew, took a, a rare disease, and the church fasted and prayed. And Matthew died. And I remember watching Lance for the first time come to Northern Ireland. I thought he was this, I was waiting for the big, high-powered American conference speaker. But a soft, humble, broken man. And they were singing that song at the time. It was Matt Redman. Blessed be your name. And it wasn't his message that he preached. It was his posture of heart as he sang, I choose to bless your name. And, and people that get, I'm attracted to and influence my life. 
But I have to say, the prayer was unanswered. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? And I know right across this room today, you have unanswered prayers. Let's not hide it. Let's not gloss over it and use spiritual language and be deceptive to ourselves and to follow God. Let's not do that. But many of us have the, the pain of miscarriage or cancer, leukemia of a child. And we prayed and prayed and prayed. And yet it just seems that God has not answered, not come through. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? And our texts that we've been reading and, and the texts that I grew up with, and they're still scripture, they still stand today. Let me, let's turn together, John 14, 12. To 14. Do you need a Bible? Does anybody need a Bible? I love it. This last month, I love watching people read Scripture, either on a phone or a paper book or a tablet. It's just so much fun. I'm a, an anorak when it comes to church stuff. I love seeing people read the ancient Scriptures. So please keep engaging in that. John chapter 14, we're going to be around that. We're just going to work with two Two texts or two chapters around John 14, John 15, and then we're going to jump into the book of Mark, which is our main text for today. But let me just line up what I want to talk about this morning, be brutally honest with you, and help you to navigate the elephant in the room. John 14, 12 to 14 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Verse 13 says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Verse 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Flick over the page, scroll your phone, do whatever you need to do. John 15, verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jump down to verse 16, scroll up, scroll down, whatever it takes to get you there. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might Go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my, in my name, the Father will give you. Jump over, 16, John 16. Turn the page, just scroll. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Five times in less than two chapters, I don't know about you, but five times less than two chapters, this is what it says to me. This is what it says to me. Ask anything, and I'll do it. I'll give it. Is that what it says? And what do you do with that? What do you do with that when prayer is unanswered? God, I've asked you about the miscarriage. I've asked, and I've asked in your name. Still unanswered prayer. What about my dad? I ask that all the time. Still do at times when I'm when I'm doubtful and emotions are running high and I'm not spending enough time with Jesus, I'm sometimes asking the question, I prayed, I fasted, I asked in your name, and yet he still died. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a little time, because this is so important. We're going to just hit pray, pause on the teach me to pray, because I want to talk about the elephant in the room, which is unanswered prayer. And if we don't tackle this elephant in the room, unanswered prayer, if you're living with disappointment, or if God seems to have failed you and not showing up and your prayers have been answered, this is the one thing that will stifle your prayer life or engaging with God to believe for the impossible things to happen. And for you in any way to be a healthy human being and a healthy follower of Jesus and apprentice of Jesus Christ. So it's really, really super important that we have this 
conversation. And just to say right from the get-go, most of the stuff I've stolen from a friend of mine called Pete Gregg, I use that term friend uh, loosely, I would say I'm his friend, he would say who, uh, but he, no, he has been a very kind guy to me and a very helpful uh, over the years. Anytime I need to speak to him, he answers straight back. And he actually wrote a brilliant prayer for Dungannon Swiss Football Club recently for me. Uh, I asked him to write me a prayer for football and he wrote it and I stole it and stuck it in a Bible for, for all the footballers. So anyway, I want to recommend this book to you called God on Mute. And I've taken the points from that and I'm just giving commentary mainly on that today just so you know. So five times before we get to uh, Pete's stuff, let me just talk about some of the things that I've wrestled with and some things that I think would help you. What do we do? We've got, to, we've, got to, um, we've got to keep going in prayer, okay? So my job today isn't by, by any means, I'm not setting out today to uh, dissuade you from prayer, actually to encourage you in prayer, and so that your faith would be rebuilt, that you would go again and again. And so it's really important to get, if you want to if you want to get the whole of this talk um, lined up and, and for it to make sense, that you go back to last week's conversation, which is online. If you go to our website, there's a, just on the homepage it says, listen, listen now or listen here or listen or you're in trouble. It says something like that. So what you can do is um, click on that and then it'll take you to all our talks. So I encourage you to listen to Michelle's talk last week on contending prayer if we do that. So before all that again, just to say, that thing of we pray in Jesus' name, I used to grow up thinking that it was like a bit like uh, open sesame. Do you know that? Do you ever done that? Is that like still cool? Did you still use the word open sesame? It's just like a tag on, open sesame, open sesame. And, and sometimes we use that and praying in Jesus' name is that if you just use that word, you know, you pray your prayer and you say, in the name of Jesus, then that's a magic password to get your prayers answered. That's actually not uh, what's intent here in the ancient scriptures from the writer. The intent is that your name in scripture is to do with your character and your nature. And so people would name their kids as a prophecy of actually what they want to see their kids grow up, grow up into. So they cope or laughter. And sometimes the only person that actually has the right to change your name is Father God. He changes your story. And he is the one you'll see throughout scriptures. He'll change people's names from sorrow to laughter and, and, and things like that there. So what it means here to pray in the name of Jesus is that actually we're praying in his character. We're praying in the nature of God. You're lining your heart up with the character of God. I'm going to just say right from the outset that you cannot wrap your theology around your emotions or your feelings. What I want to say is that God is merciful, God is kind, and God is a healer. He is that. And all sickness is from the enemy and the fall. Okay? So let's not try and use some uh, wishy-washy spiritual jargon to, uh, because our emotions are at low, and I do understand that at the time our emotions are low, so that we can sort of tidy it all up, box it all up, wrap it up in a partial and bow it up and say, well, who knows, it's just the will of God. No, 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 God is merciful, God is kind, God is good. And so we pray in and around the nature of God. So your prayers must align with the nature and character of God. So to help us navigate why God doesn't answer prayer or when prayers seem unanswered, which is the same thing, I want you to turn to the book of Mark, and we're going to use one verse, Mark 14, 36, a 21-word prayer that will change your life if you've been ever, and I would say most of us have, if you've ever journeyed with unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer. If you've ever journeyed with disappointment, and it's okay to be disappointed. If you ever journey with doubt, and it's okay to doubt. There's a 21-word prayer here that helps us walk through when our prayers are unanswered. So I'll give you a couple of seconds to get there. Shout when you're there, Mark 14, verse 36. Yeah, brilliant. Abba, Father, 
everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. If you're unfamiliar with ancient scripture, if you're unfamiliar with the story of God and the Bible, the story is where Jesus is in the garden. He is uh, having the dark night of his soul. He, he's under tremendous um, pain and emotional pain. He's about to face the cross. Uh, it's the dark, dark night of his soul. And the weight of the world is on him. Literally, the weight of the world is on him. And he's in this moment with him and the Father. Praying, praying, praying. First thing that I want to help us to journey through unanswered prayer is just the beautiful words that 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 this starts this prayer, this conversation, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I'm thankful for, for Mark who wrote this gospel, this account of Jesus' life on earth. I'm thankful that Abba was untranslated. It's such a gift. It's such a gift. This word has been untranslated so readers would know the actual words spoken by Jesus when he addressed his earthly father, Joseph, and here in the garden where he addresses his heavenly father, God. And it could have been translated. And I'm also thankful that Peter got to hear these words before he fell asleep during that prayer. You remember, I don't know if you've read the scripture at all, but Jesus gathers these guys with him. Not that he could change anything, but he just wanted, I think, I think it's just my personal uh, thought on it, that I think he needed the human touch that night. I just think he needed community with him. He needed those who were with him at the start to be with him at the end in the garden. And they wouldn't. He said, That's, could you, would you pray with me? Could you pray with me? I need you to pray with me. And they fell asleep. And, and Peter, he, he gets his words before he falls asleep. He hears, he hears Jesus talking to the Father. And he says, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, which is just Daddy. It, it's a beautiful language. It's a beautiful Language is Jesus growing up as a boy, he would use that language with Joseph. And as he walked with his father, this would be the Aramaic language that he would use. This is the word that God, that Jesus would use for his father, Abba Father. It's so important. We could stop at that today, and actually it would give us comfort in unanswered prayer. I kid you not. If you allowed it to, to engage with your soul and your emotions. And in this moment of pain and sorrow and anguish, we are reminded that God is still daddy. You get it? Even in this moment of, of pain, of anguish and sorrow, I want you to know that God is still daddy. Was, Jesus was still feeling the emotions. He was feeling it. He sweat blood. He was, he was so much in anguish and, and anxiety and pain and trouble. And yet his first words are daddy. You get it? I love it. Caleb's not here this morning, one of our three boys, so I'll choose to talk about him. As each boy is not here, I'll tell their story. That's how it works in our house. Caleb was really small. We were out with our friends, Alan, Catherine, Scott. We were walking in, uh, down the Strand Road, and I think it was the Strand Road in Port Stewart, and Caleb was running, and he always used to run uh, ahead of us and walk ahead of us, and used to with his hands behind his back. It was never a smart move. And so uh, he was running and he tripped and he grazed his whole knee. I mean, it was a mess. There's blood everywhere. And I usually when I see things that got there, I get angry and then run away. I don't like blood. I don't like pain. So that's the emotion that occurs in me. Bad father, I hear you say, but that's, hey, God is changing me step by step. It's so much pain 
but the one thing he wanted was his dad. I remember that moment, and, and he would be, still is, a little dramatic, and uh, <laughs> gets it from his mother. And so he says to me, tell me, tell me, Daddy. It's like a, he was stuck in words of wisdom from this, this wise one here. Did anything like this ever, ever happen to you? And I said, yeah, I fell and cut my knee, Caleb, one time too. But the pain was there, and the tears were there, and the sheet was still sticking to his wee cut, and, uh, and he was so much pain, and he would shout, pray for me, pray for me. That's what he would shout in those days. And, uh, and so in the middle of the pain and the cut and the blood and the anguish, he still needed his dad. Not that I could take all that away, by no means, but he still needed a hug. He still needed a dad. And when we're in grief and pain in the dark night of the soul, we don't understand things. We don't. I often remind myself that I am Jason, I am small, I am not God, and God is big. It's wonderful. It keeps me on the path. He is big and I am small, yet he is intimate with me as my dad. He is merciful and kind and generous to all who call upon his name. He's so, so good. I remember again not to um, have a therapy session this morning again, but I, I only, I've not gone through a lot of pain in my life, thankfully. Emotional pain. I've not had a lot of unanswered p- prayers, and I'm not uh, gloating, but I'm just being honest with you this morning, just trying to be totally transparent. I remember when my, my dad was dying, I would spend weeks in, at his bedside and days, But in the painful moments when I lost him at the end, I wish that God would have airlifted me out of the pain. But he didn't. And often what he does in our pain, he doesn't airlift us. I wish he would, but he doesn't airlift us. But what he actually does, he presents himself with us in the journey. And if we could vote, we would vote because it would seem so right that we would get airlifted, right? It would be so logical and our intuition would wish that. But yet God presents himself in pain. Comes to us in the dark night of the soul. And he's with us. He's still the father. He's still daddy. He's still Abba. Thanks be to Mark who never translated that word such a gift. What I would suggest to you then from all this is that you allow him to walk and comfort you. That's all I can say. Lance Pitlock, the guy that began with in the story he lost his son, one of the wisest words he ever said to me is he watched friends walk away from faith, pastors and leaders. They often do. They're just human. But he said, you've always got a choice in pain and a choice in life. You can either turn towards God or turn away from God. You may think that's so simple, but yet it's so profound. When you're going through pain and when you're going through disappointment and doubt and disillusion, you have a choice in that moment. You can either turn away from Father God or you can turn in towards him. And my advice to you as a pastor and somebody who's followed Jesus now for a lot of years and experienced little pain, turn in to the Father. Hold on to the love of God. The next part of that prayer says, everything is possible for you. And so we move from this intimate 
state of intimacy to this infinite or finite power of God, right? The finite power of God, that God is actually, he is close and intimate. But, but Jesus is still uttering the words and the pain and the grief and, and knowing that he's going through it. He says, everything is possible for you. Everything is possible. I want to say to you this morning that two things that will happen when, when unanswered prayer comes your way, two things that will be tested, two things that you'll deny, maybe. You'll, you'll be tempted to deny, and that is the love of God that we talked about, and second, the power of God. So easy to do. We then we start to shape our theology and our thinking around our experience. But it's not helpful. It's not helpful. We'll we'll start to figure out things. We use like just nonsense talk, cliches, you know. Well, if it's for you, it won't go past you. And I know I use it flippantly a lot of times, but I absolutely detest that saying. We'll use things like, well, who knows? It must have been the will of God anyway. And those things I can understand where you're coming from and where you're going in your mind because you want to resolve some things in your heart. But then it leads us sometimes to this point that we no longer believe in the power of God. I understand why churches are sensationists, why they have a sensationist view of Scripture because I do understand that I don't think it's that they have a power, I have a problem with the theology. I think they have a power of actually engaging again with it when they face difficult circumstances. Because you've got to talk about power, you're going to have to do something with it, right? If you've got a vacuum cleaner in the house, you don't want to be talking about it. You've actually got to use it. If somebody tells you that they've got a high-powered speedboat, what do you want to do? You want to see it for, first of all, it gets their land, and then you want to run on it, don't you? So we, that's the thing, is that we're cornered by the kingdom, and so the thing that tempts us when we're in pain and when, we're, when we have unanswered prayers, that we deny the love of God, we might not outwardly say it, but we'll be cold in our hearts and withdrawn in our intimacy, and we'll walk away from the prayer place. And the second thing is we'll deny the power of God, and we'll ask God to tie our hands and close our eyes. And by the way, it's okay to doubt. Those who... Don't doubt, I would say, are insane. I love Peter or Thomas. I love them all. <laughs> and he's called the doubter. I mean, I wish I had as much faith as him at times, you know. This is the guy that walked then for miles and miles and hundreds of miles taking the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's a doubter, then I'm a doubter. Still called one of the twelve. It's, it's wonderful when he comes back and they all worship, isn't it? When the twelve apostles are all gathered and, and John's like, he's like, here's a beat and he's like, hands up, worshiping, right? And what key is that in? And then Peter's like, is this really him? Or Thomas? Like, say it with Peter this morning. Is it really him? Is it really him? It's okay to ask. Is it really you, God? You're still there? You still care? It's okay to doubt. Everything is possible for you. I love, again, I've had little pain, so my only experience is my dad. I might spend weeks at his bedside, like I said, hearing stories, but he didn't tell me stories of disappointment with God. He didn't tell me stories when God didn't show up. He constantly talked about seeing angels, which I thought was a wee bit nuts. He was very charismatic. He would talk about times of seeing people healed and people... Uh, immediately and miraculously healed. He talked about times of when he was in uh, Africa and, and, and uh, you know, weird things would happen because he would be in a village where there's witch doctors and stuff and he was driving in a car one night and this thing physically appeared in the back seat of the car. He would tell me all those things. I didn't know to encourage me or just to scare the life clean out of me. But he would tell me stories of faith and signs and wonders and miracles and power, yet he was slowly dying. Everything is still possible. See, I love the scriptures. They are not propaganda. 
by any stretch of the imagination. If you were writing the book, you par it up. Do you know that when the, in the Second World War, when, when Hitler uh, engaged the church and took over the church, when Nazis took over the church in Germany, do you know what they did? They created their own scriptures, their own Bible, and they pulled out every scripture that pertained to a weak Messiah. Whether it was pain, where Jesus looked weak. They physically tore the pages out and created their own version of the Bible. I want to tell you, this is not a book of propaganda. This is a book about extraordinary love and relational presence through all generations. He is still the God of breakthrough. Do not give up, even in unanswered prayers. You see, we, 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 when what, what happens when God doesn't show up, we try to formulate it. We try and do weird things, don't we? we, we like I grew up in the Pentecostal movement. That's why we say things like, in Jesus' name. And then we... we Make a comment a different place. And, you know, we just try and do things. We try and manufacture things. Guys, it has nothing to do with manufacturing. It has not, not to do with methods or, or models. There's nothing to do with practice. Breakthrough is not transactional. Breakthrough is always relational. It's always relational. You may be praying for days on end and days on end, and all of a sudden, and I'm going to explain to you three reasons why I think there's unanswered prayer. And the th- points have stole strict, or straight from the book, God on mute. But I want to tell you something that God, some days God just, all of a sudden you'll be praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And you could be out doing something else. You mightn't even be in the prayer space at that time. You mightn't be in your quiet place at that time. You mightn't be on the car with Hillsong or Jesus Culture or whatever it is. You might just be out playing football, having a beer in the gym, and God has broken through. You hear the story of God's miraculous Because it's never transactional. It's always relational. It's always relational. Keep coming to Father God. He is Abba Father. He is all power. And he is the God of breakthrough. Are you with me? Don't give up. Don't give up praying. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. Take this cup from me. Can you imagine the stress? The agonizing? powerful moment in that garden where there's pain and sorrow. There's doubt, I'm sure. There's doubt, I have to go through it. You know, Jesus is actually saying, I don't want to do this. I don't know what your Bible reads like, but it actually says here, you know what? I want out. Air left me. Is there another way to do this? Is there another way to do this? This is costly. This is a compelling gospel. So anybody tells you that we can uh, redefine this gospel and make it about all roads lead to heaven or we can take Jesus out of the equation, I want to tell you that it's absolutely heresy. It's absolute heresy. This is too costly a gospel. It's too compelling a gospel. And Jesus Christ went through too much for us to try and tidy it all up and make it palatable for a doubting generation. Let's not do that. I grew up in church where, again, you would meet people and the snots were tripping them. I don't know what other way to say it. And the hankies were coming out of the Kleenex, you know, out of pockets. And you'd say, I would say to them, oh, have you got a cold? No, I'm healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, I'm walking in the victory. Uh, anybody else experienced that? Yeah. How's your pain? Oh, I don't have pain. I'm healed. I'm walking in the victory. Then you give them a hug and they go, ouch. And you go, you're in pain. No, no, no. That's the symptoms of it. I'm walking, I'm healed. I'm walking in the victory. No, you're telling lies. (laughs) You're delusional. 
You're delusional. It's okay to be honest. Two-thirds of the Psalms, the book of prayer, Psalms, is about lamenting. About lamenting. It's crazy. I mean, when we planted this church, we had a wonderful lady. I never really got to know her. Michelle spent more time with her. She was dying with cancer. She came to the early, early meetings that we had at uh, the Leisure Center in Dungannon. And um, she had been given these tapes, that, actually all the tapes that my dad would have been listening to and growing, that I grew up with, all this faith and prosperity teaching. She, 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 that was her life. That was it. But what the sad thing is that what happened at the end of her days that she, because of her illness, because of her sickness, because she went through all this teaching, if you believe it, then you're healed. If you have enough faith, then you're healed. If you just confess it, then you'll receive it. Blab it and grab it whatever terminology you want to use, she had so much wrapped her heart and her emotions around this that she actually doubted, was she even a child of God at the end? Because if she wasn't healed, was she in a relationship with Jesus? And um, our confessions of a pastor, don't shoot me, but I've only ever showed one person the door in Vineyard Church, Dungannon. Yeah, and that was somebody one day who came in here with the teaching that they were, their job was to go around the congregation to help you to understand that you just don't have enough faith. See, our job as the family of God here in Vineyard is to hold the hands of those who are believing for breakthrough and to hold their hearts, brothers and sisters, as they walk through hardship and pain and disappointment. Yes, we pray for the miraculous. Yes, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We believe that God can break through at any minute. We believe that the kingdom has come, is come, and will be fully consummated when Jesus returns and the dead in Christ will rise and all things will be made new. Of course we believe that. But in the other time, we love the power and we also walk through the pain. We walk through the power, celebration, and we also stand with you at the sickbed and pray with you there. Our job is to hold hearts and hands for those who are going through disappointment and, and pain and doubt. That's what we do as a community of faith together, don't we? And that's what family does. That's what family does. Why am I talking about that, Jesus? And what has that got to do with this? Well, I think if it's okay for Jesus to say, God, get me out of this, take this cup from me, it's okay for the church to be honest with their disappointment and with their pain and when he doesn't seem to show up. Not to lay it away. Not to play theological gymnastics or do somersaults. And take some scriptures and bend them and twist them so that it's all your fault. It's all your fault. We're believing for breakthrough. Now, you, again, can you imagine the moment? There is an enemy to your soul. Can you imagine the moment that Satan, he's there, right? All hell is, is looking on. Things seem to be going swimmingly well, right? And then it just gets better. It just gets better. When, when the enemy hears Jesus, utter the words in Aramaic, take this cup from me. He's got to be thinking, yes, yes, this is the moment. He's actually asking not to go through with this. He is actually asking that this doesn't happen. The enemy of your soul, the enemy, Satan, the devil, is he's bouncing at this moment. He is, he's, he's ridiculously, I think, hallucinating with the, with the words of Christ when he says, take this cup from me. But then, in just a few breaths, 
he then says, yet not what I want, but what you want. Right? Can you imagine? Oh, no. You see, in the garden, right, before it all went pear-shaped, there was a conversation with the first Adam that went like this. What I want, not what you want. What I want, not what you want. And in that moment, cancer and leukemia and miscarriages and lung disease and pain, pedophilia, and all the stuff came crashing in. And here we are in another garden with the second Adam with the words, not what I want, but what you will. And he reverses the curse in that moment and creates a landing pad for the kingdom of heaven to be ushered in, for all things to be made new, and everything impossible to become possible. Can you see it? He reverses the curse. The second Adam, Jesus, with his words, when he utters those words, he's saying, you know what? There is possibility for cancer to be healed. There is possibility for justice to be done. Because the kingdom has got a landing pad, because he has reversed the curse, because it's not my will, but your will, he gives us a landing pad for the kingdom of heaven to be ushered in. And church, you might want to tell your face that this is a good, good gospel. And this is a brilliant, brilliant moment in history that we still live off to this very day. Hallelujah, Jesus. I sometimes am tempted to go back to my old Pentecostal roots just for the sheer fun of it, okay? But you're deeply engaged. I can tell that. What an announcement. What a commencement of the kingdom. What a landing pad for things to happen. Of course, one day there will be no more pain, there'll be no more death, there'll be no sorrow. Every tear will be wiped away when Jesus returns. But from that time to this time, we live in the last days. People say, when's the last days? This is the last days. There only is one period of time, the time of Jesus' resurrection, the time that he comes back again. So we are in the last days. I don't know when they're going to be or when he's come back. And don't you try and tell me you know too, because Jesus doesn't even know, okay? And you're not smarter than Jesus, and he's with God the Father. Okay, but it, I, do, I do admit, it does make for good movies and it does sell books. So uh, if you want to go down that road, knock yourself out. So are you with me? Well, I, I want to try and stir something in your heart this morning for prayer. Okay, this, this is something that I've been thinking about this last two weeks and three weeks. Like, I, 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 sometimes, uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm thinking, how do I get people out to church? How do I get people to do stuff? That's just what pastors do. We have, we have these weird conversations. We count chairs and people and, you know, we go home and say who's not there and all, and all that sort of stuff. So if you're not there and you're listening on tape, we are talking about you over the dinner table this <laughs> afternoon. So anyway, all that to say this is that I, I just, I think we need to get back to the compelling gospel. Yeah, it's not my job to persuade you that the gospel is compelling. I can't do that anymore. Jesus does that. You've got to fall in love with Jesus. And the way it happens is through intimacy and conversation through prayer. You, you, if the gospel's not compelling, guys, I can't do anything. 
If the kingdom is not compelling enough for you to surrender your one and only life and to follow forward in the, his grace and his mercy and trust that he's the best, best, best view of your life and the best plan for your life, and he is he's more concerned that your life thrives than you are actually concerned about it. If you're not compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I can't make anything happen. But I want to say to you, because of this will, because of God's will, because of the second garden, the gospel is beautiful and it is so compelling. And let us compel, let us, sorry, not compel, let us surrender our hearts again to the will of Christ. Not what I want. But Father God, what you want here in Dungannon, Tyrone, family, marriage, life. Okay, I'm going to finish up with three things really quickly. I've run out of time. Three reasons, and it's stolen straight from Craig, or Pete Craig. Uh, why there's unanswered prayer. The first one, if you're taking notes, I would take these down because there will be a time when you have doubts and when you have disappointment. The first one is just God's will. It's God's will. That's just nature and the law of nature. And like we said, we're lining our, our prayers up with the nature character of God. So that, that has to happen. Um, there, is, there is God's will. Yeah? Uh, do you know about will? About the will? Does anybody have toddlers do they have a will sometimes it's it's hard work isn't it but god's will is what we want to try and line our lives up with so sometimes you know for me to say don't fall off don't fall off i just pray that this phone won't fall off i pray against the the nature of gravity right now don't fall off don't god didn't answer the prayer let's try it again there's nature and there's law guys there's some things that we need to realize that's that's happening we we ask for wrong motives sometimes. Sometimes our prayers are, at least sometimes my prayers, I'll be honest with you, sometimes my prayers are spiritually masked. They're really greed and wants and lusts. But I can mask them in some wonderful jargon and spiritualize them so that it sounds pretty good. But it's not the will of God. Two, God's world. Hey, what kind of world are we living in? Crazy mixed up, I know. Sometimes the things we pray for are outside the wisdom that God has graced us with. It. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's just... There's more happening than, than what we're actually seeing. There's a big picture. I used to drive a Skoda before Skodas were cool. <laughs> Some of you are saying, our Skodas, Skoda's cool. But it, it was just nuts, you know, like you talk about law and nature and you talk about, you know, uh, God's world. Some, just, it's just God's world is where there is actual laws. There's actual laws of, of nature. That, and sometimes we try and push against them, but there is a big picture and, and things can work. You know, what God has done is give, Michelle talked about last week, he's give seven billion people a free will choice. That's dangerous. That's pretty dangerous. That's pretty crazy in my thinking. And so what I would do with a Skoda, like, you know, I would see, I would drive hoping and praying that I would arrive to my destination, which was on Lisbon Road without running out of diesel. And it happened about three times that I ran out of diesel. Like, you know, you've got to be disappointed with God sometimes. But here's the stupidity of me. I knew that we amber light that flashes was on two days before I set off from then Tobermore to Belfast. Uh-huh, you know? And I still drove. I still drove. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. The laws of nature. God has created and set in place. And he's his world some things and we try to override it but it doesn't it doesn't happen sometimes i'm praying for sunshine to go out in a scooter run right 
and the farmer in 2018, the only flipping summer we've had, are looking for rain. Are they nuts? I, you know, could you just, he's praying for rain, I'm praying for sunshine, I'm going off in the Vespa. He's praying, who, you know, and obviously, we always find out who God loves more, don't we? <laughs> By the prayer being answered. It's just, and then, Micah. We nicknamed Micah when he was young, the patron saint of car parking spaces. Because we were going to car park, particularly around Christmas time, and we couldn't get a space, and we'd say, every, the boys in the back say, pray, Micah, pray, Micah. <laughs> and Micah would pray for a car parking space. But if you think about this, okay, I just want to test your thinking. There's two Christians, Brian Cummings and me, we're in the same car park, unbeknown to each other, doing a wee bit of Christmas shopping, right? He's going for the hats and gloves for the refugees. I'm probably thinking about more about myself, right? And so, so we're driving around and I, and I pull out my patron saint of uh, car parking spaces card. I have a wee card to keep now, make his picture on it and you take it, keep it in the dashboard where it's like, you know, like the traveling saint one for mercies and journeys and safety. St. Christopher. So we have the patron saint of car parking spaces. Make a, I'll, they're two pound a piece. I'll get you one straight after this conversation. Not terribly dear at all. And so we're driving around and I'm saying, give me a space, God. And Brian's saying, give me a space, God. Well, there you go again. It's crazy sometimes, isn't it? It's crazy. Of course, I always got the space. Brian never got the space. And again, just shows you who God loves. But, and then you've got every bride in the world wants sunshine on their wedding day. Again, same thing. You know? Sometimes I thank God. You really like a wee bit of Garth Brooks? <laughs> for unanswered prayer. What, I was just going to do the whole talk around Garth Brooks today just, just to keep it to own, you know? And, uh, but the song is true. Cheesy, but true. Are you, are you sometimes glad that God doesn't answer your prayer? Because he's got a bigger... Sometimes we're just selfish, aren't we? Like, you know, we, we pray for these things and then you don't get... The job doesn't come up and then you find out, phew, grass is always greener on the other side. It's usually greener because it's astroturf. Sorry, 4G. Yeah. You know, sometimes unanswered prayer goes beyond us. It's for the betterment of the world and for others that we don't see a big picture. That Sometimes God says no to things or doesn't answer the things and all of a sudden, turns out beautifully. Turns out beautifully. Third thing... I want you to hear this because I think Finyard sometimes being kind to you, I think sometimes we hide this stuff. We don't like talking about it. There's a war on. There's God's will, there's God's world, and there's God's war. Pete Gregg is super in this. I don't believe it's God's will. This is me saying this now, not Pete Gregg. This, I don't believe it's God's will that a mother miscarriages. So you, you can talk to me blue in the face about that. That's not my God. He's kind, he's merciful. He's good. But I, I'm not a disciple of Job, by the way. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if you're going to come to me with the one thing that you have as Job, then I'm going to come to you with the one thing I have as Jesus Christ. And anything I read about Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Anytime I follow Jesus, I would look through the New Testament books. i never seen him once bless an illness or a curse on somebody's life. I've seen him heal the sick, raise the dead. I've never seen him cast away the leper and not touch him because he's unclean. He actually touches the unclean, whether it's a woman with issue or blood or whether it's a leper, and he heals him. I've never seen Jesus bless a storm. I've seen him calm the storms. 
You take me to any passage with Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and that's the man who I'm following. That's the one who I want to be with, who I want to become like and do the things that he does. That's who I'm following. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ, not John Wimber. Anybody else, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm an apprentice of Jesus. And so I want to say to you that there is a war out there too. Ephesians 6, 12, it tells us to put on the armor of God so that you be wise against the offense of the enemy. Actually, it says the schemes of the enemy. The schemes of the enemy. He's a smart dude. He is scheming all the time. He's scheming all the time. But here, well, here's what's happening. History is moving towards shalom. You get that? Shalom is the wholeness and the peace of God. It's the kingdom come here on earth. History is marching on bended knee towards shalom of God. That's where we're headed, folks. We're not heading. If anybody tells you that we're heading for the darkest, darkest days, tell them that he is making all things new. If somebody's telling you that this word's going to hell in the handbag, tell them that he is making all things new. If somebody tells you that I wish I didn't have a family in this generation, tell them that he is making all things new. And we are walking towards shalom. Walking towards shalom. I'm going to cut this well out. We live in a battle. God does not always get his will. There's an enemy of your soul. Jesus came to defeat the works of the devil. And there's a bizarre story in the book of Daniel 10. It's a bizarre story. It's where the guy has fasted for three weeks. Prayed and fasted for three weeks. Anybody done that recently? Anybody want to do that? No. Okay. Just putting it out there, because we would have done it if you were all up for it, but we're not doing it. Okay, so he's like, he's fasted and prayed for three weeks. And then there's this strange, strange happening here. It says in Daniel 10, it says, then an angel shows up. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel. I love this. I heard you from the first day. I'll be like, you heard me the first day? And I've prayed and I've fasted. I've gone without food for three weeks and you hear me the first day? Come on. Talk to me. Huh? Is there something you want to tell me? But it is. He does want to tell him something. He says, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come, I have come in response to him. And then he says this weird, weird thing. He says, but the prince of, Persian, of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. 21 days. Is that three weeks? After three weeks, the angel comes. Guys, this life, you know, when people talk about prayer, you know, the three things, it's, 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 sometimes it's cliche. I think it's more complex than we say, no, not yet, delay. I, I think that's kind of cute, but sometimes it's a wee bit more complex than that. There's an enemy, there are demons here. Sorry to say it. There are demons here. Read the book. There's somebody after your soul. There's a, he, he's going after you and he doesn't play fair. And we're in this battle. Of course, God is more powerful than anybody. It's not dualism. But there's attack and counterattack. I find myself, have you ever found yourself, okay, so let's, let's just play this out. Have you ever found yourself starting to pray and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose? And you think to yourself, stuff that. That doesn't work. Huh? Or I could do with I could do well without that stuff. Huh? 
You start praying for people and all of a sudden this pops up and that pops up. Oh, I've, I've actually started to pray about my finances. I could just start, instead of, you know, instead of talking about stuff, I'm actually praying about things now. It's amazing how, how three teenagers going to university pushes you to a bit more prayer. Prayer life of Jesus. But uh, you, you may think this is just coincidence or wacky. And this is not to uh, discourage, actually. But like we start, I started praying about this. We went to Denmark, my bag was stolen. And then on the Monday, somebody went to Tesco's in London and had a field day. So I was like, what's happening here? You know, I just started to look at this stuff and all of a sudden... They, they nicked my card, front and back. You know, they got the number off it and the wee security code number in the back and put an order in at Tesco's and that they had a party, whatever. But, like, uh, uh, they, when, you know, it's not to dissuade you to pray, but just, just to let you know that there's some, somebody out there that's not happy, that doesn't want your life to thrive. See, the mission of, gospel, the mission of the gospel, it's a compelling gospel, is that Jesus came you might have life. The devil comes to kill, stay and destroy. And so there's an enemy of your soul. Let's stand. We've run out of time.